These are words to live by. These are the foundation of what we are to be as a church. And so as Melinda reads, just see where you find yourself in the midst. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Holy wisdom, holy word. See if this uh, story sounds vaguely familiar to anyone else uh, who happens to be a parent Uh, The year was about 1987. She was 13 years old. And um, to to really get the whole kind of image, uh, you have to place yourself in the Silicon Valley in the mid-'80s. It's very similar to what's going on here in the Northwest, that, you know, this burgeoning, incredibly explosive new industry, the tech industry, is just going to a place that no one had expected, exploding, and we were right in the middle of it in Cupertino, California. And, and again, this is, she was 13 years old, and at that time, in the mid-'80s, it was all about goth. You remember goth? Anybody remember some of you? Some of you going, no. All, you, it <laughs> looked a little like the bell choir. <laughs> Except what you have to add to the bell choir right now is kind of black all around your eyes, black shadow around, you know, under your cheekbones, multicolored or unusual looking hair, and some, potentially some piercings. She didn't have the piercings. She had every other piece of it. She would spend inordinate amounts of time in her room. And a reminder, there were not cell phones back then. She was depressed. She was constantly angry, and she was a challenge to be around every minute of every day. Then suddenly, here we are sitting at dinner one night, and and she comes running in. She never ran either. She comes running in with this ad from like, I don't know, Big Five or something. And, and she handed it and said, someone in this tone, I want these shoes. They're 165 bucks on sale. Did I mention that I was a youth director at that time? Now, so here you are. Here's the dilemma, right? Here, the dilemma is you can say yes, hoping that this will help her with her self-esteem, Or you can say no, just giving her one more piece of ammunition, although she already has enough. Or might there be something 
in between. Well, the other thing that was going on in this time is we had a huge youth group down in uh, at Good Samaritan United Methodist Church in Cupertino. I don't know, 60, 70 kids. What was amazing at that time is how many of those kids were using a variety of drugs. But these are youth group kids. Youth group kids. And some of the most successful or respected kids around in this three-county area all were coming to the youth group. But I would say somewhere around 90% were using drugs of various kinds. And we pulled together a community forum and, and invited two folks, believe it or not, from the University of Washington, Drs. Richard Catalano and Dr. J. J. David Hawkins, who are at the forefront of another emerging, emerging kind of research understanding of exactly what it is that places children and youth at risk and what can reduce risk in them. And so we got to sit with, you went by Rico and David, and, and spent a fair amount of time with them. And just to turn the page, and I'll turn it back in a second, I ended up um, leaving youth ministry partly because of this to go into the drug abuse work. Uh, with Santa Clara County first, Bureau of Drug Abuse Services, and then to developmental research here in Seattle, and then on to this consulting practice. All because of the work of J. David Hawkins and Rico Catalano. They were phenomenal. But what we learned was that there are other solutions between yes and no. And that every one of these times becomes an opportunity for us as parents to do something that will raise health for our own kids. And so um, to now go back to the, to the Joanna story. Um, so we sat there with her and uh, after going through these workshops and things and came back and, and she was still you know, kind of anticipating the no. Uh, and so we said, you know what, honey, here's what, here's what we want to offer you. We'd like you to pay the bills for the next three months. We'll provide the money. We'll provide the checks. We'll provide the training. But that's what we need you to do. And then let's have this discussion after you do that. Well, after first saying no, she began to think about it. Because I said, at the end of that, you can buy shoes. You can buy shoes. And really, whatever shoes you want to buy. So we spent a lot of time with her, looking at the bills, looking at what comes in, what goes out, how you budget, what's left over, all of those kinds of things. And over those next three months, with almost no exception, she paid all the bills, every one of them. We signed the checks, and this is when we used checks. We signed the checks. She stamped them, sent them. And, and took care of the family's financial stability for three months. What happened almost immediately as she began to do this is her dress changed. She began to wear different kinds of clothes, not goth clothes, not all black. Her makeup changed, and she began to not have those black really deep black kind of eyeliner things around her eyes. She began to take a little bit better care of 
her hygiene and even her hair and allowed her natural color, which was this beautiful, deep, kind of almost black, to come back. She also changed her friends, which we thought was pretty interesting because what happened for her was her friends would come to her and say, why in the world are you even doing that? And what happened in her was her response, which is so normal for her, was, do you pay your family's bills? What do you do at home? And those friends began to move aside as other friends began to come in and fill that gap. It was a phenomenal thing to watch. And, by the way, she went from like a 1.0 GPA to a 3.8. I'm not exaggerating any of this. I, I, just, I want to assure you, none of this, three months, this young woman was transformed. And so to recognize her and kind of reward her for being able to accomplish this, we sat down with her and we said, okay, you know what, you've, you've done an incredible job on this. We can go out to dinner wherever you want. And, you know, we knew kind of what her favorite places were. And she chose the least expensive steakhouse. And we went out to dinner. And then at dinner we said, so, shoes? She went out the next day and bought shoes for $35. $35. What we realized is that our own behavior was creating risk in her that some of the things that we were doing as parents were not the best thing that could benefit someone like her. She had been the part of all kinds of moves, like all of my children. Uh, the, the one exception, really, even though Cora has, I don't remember, seven houses in her 18 years, um, at least she got to go to high school at one place. But here's the deal. Over the years... To some extent, roles have shifted and changed in families. Family configurations have shifted and changed some. And what's accepted today wasn't even talked about back then. But today, family can mean a variety of different things. And it's amazing. But here's what hasn't changed. And I'm going to say it this way. What has not changed is the hell of middle school. Think about it. It hasn't changed. People, Kids today are dealing with very much the same things that we were dealing with in middle school. They're, they're looking at their own body image and, and comparing themselves not just to others at middle school, but those that are on television. They're, they're trying to figure out their own sexual orientation in this time, and at least now they're able to talk about it. Weren't back then. They're, they're looking at others like sports stars and other things and thinking, I want to do this. But here's, here's the only other difference between what was going on when, when Joanna was growing up or even when we were growing up. Do you know what the average age of a millionaire is today? You ready? 29. <laughs> 29. Here, let me say it again. 29. 
The opportunities that are out there are enormous. But here's the other deal. We live in a place where the pressures are enormous. We are in a school district that, that the, the, again, the pressures are beyond belief, but we're not alone. You go to North Shore, you go to Renton, you go to Issaquah, you go wherever. Right this area has enormous pressures that, that just are influencing our kids. Ryan, how many AP classes are you taking next year on your senior year? Four advanced placement classes. And that's not abnormal. And that's where the comparisons are happening even more so this year or this time is those kinds of academic pressures. But part of it's not just the academics around culture. Did I mention that you could become a millionaire by the time you're 29? So let's see. If you do the math, you can become a half millionaire by the time you're what? 18? The pressures are huge. The pressures are huge. And here's the other bad news. And I, I was tempted not to talk about this, but we see it in the paper all the time. We are now living in a time where drug use is on the increase again, particularly opiates, particularly in the Seattle area, but it is creeping its way across the lake and particularly into South King County. But drug use is on the rise, and part of it is due to legalizing marijuana. I'm just going to tell you, research is showing over and over again that that is part of the situation. And, and so we better face up to some of this. You add the pressures to drug use, and the other piece of this is more and more we recognize the amount of physical, verbal, and other kinds of abuses that are happening all around us and what that is doing to our kids. A few weeks from now, what I'm going to present to you are the risk factors and the protective factors of what increases risk in our kids and what lowers risk in our kids. This is a time where we want to talk about family, and I thought, what better start day than Mother's Day? And there is a model that if implemented, and if implemented well, will absolutely reduce risk in our kids. It, it, just, it just will. And, and we've, I've seen it thousands and thousands of times utilized in families, in schools, in churches, in other organizations, where if we engage with this, particularly in our, with our children and youth, you watch the risk go down. Joanna is one of those stories, and there are thousands of them found in research. And I'm going to move through the model fairly quickly. And, you know, John, we don't really have to put them up. I, I, th I think we're okay that way. Because um, it's not quite what I was hoping for on the, on the screens. And so let me just describe it to you. It begins with involvement. Well, again, we, we live in a time where our kids are involved. And I think to some extent over-involved. And the pressures on them being in soccer and lacrosse and academically and all those things is huge. It's huge. Most families, of, if they have three children, have seven different events at least every week. And to some extent, two to three each day. Where some parent has to get them somewhere. It's enormous. That's not the kind of involvement that I'm talking about. When we give our kids opportunities for involvement significant opportunities for involvement in things that can not only change the family, but change other lives, that's one tick 
in reducing risk. And I, I hate to say this to some of you. It could be mowing the lawn or loading the dishwasher. But I will admit to you, I am dishwasher challenged. Just ask my wife. I am dishwasher challenged. No one ever trained me to load a dishwasher. And so here's what I do. I load the dishwasher, I come back the next day, and the dishwasher has been rearranged. My name is Brad, and I'm dishwasher challenged. But I did learn how to wash dishes. And my mom, in a very patient way, would show me exactly what needed to be done. We'd go, we'd go down. I, I turned 61 yesterday, so, so just bear with me. I, we'd go down to the river. <laughs> we'd use the gravel, trying to get every piece of the grit off of the venison that we had just cooked over an open fire. No. She did teach me how to, um, how to wash dishes. But my dad taught me how to mow the lawn, and I can still feel his fingers digging into my shoulder as he aggressively is telling me how much I fail at mowing the lawn. You know, we don't all have these gifts. But when we talk about significant involvement, the next piece of the model, so you have involvement and then opportunities for significant involvement and then drop down and down here are the skills. Skills. I think of how did you learn to play the bells like that? It took practice. It took risking enough to, to figure out something new. What I learned today, I learned something new today. Don't make Pam mad. Bam! Bam! But we need to teach the skills and we need to teach them with patience. Whether it's loading the dishwasher or mowing the lawn or doing other house kind of maintenances, we need to share with them why that's so important for them to be involved in those things. It's very much like coaching. And what takes that even deeper is when we share with them an opportunity to change the life of somebody else that we go with them and feed someone who is hungry, or we go with them and clothe someone who is challenged that way. So that they can see us doing that together, we become that which emulates what we want them to be. And we do that by teaching skills with patience, love, and grace. And for my mom, it was all about patience. But then here's the deal. Once that's done, and, and once they see that they've accomplished this, and we need to recognize them and name it for them, that they have, in fact, done a good job of what we've asked them to do and what we've trained them to do. And the other three R's in the midst of this is recognition, reinforcement, and reward. Jack Morrison was sitting in first, church, first service in the back, and, I said, and it was. This happened in Alabama. Um, a guy who had to be in his mid-40s, I talked about recognition, reinforcement, and reward, and he immediately stood up and he said, I won't say exactly what he said, but he said, the day that I reward my child for doing exactly what I expect them to do is the day that I go to my grave. And he walked out. Okay. I pray for your children. But recognition tangible and intangible things, notes, affirmation, 
reinforcement to say, this is great, and, and look at how this can tie into other places. And reward that steak dinner for Joanna as she accomplished this was significant because she knew that we had recognized and there was something that went with it. And as much as we may struggle, those, the combination of those things, opportunities for involvement, teaching the skills, recognition, reinforcement, and reward do three of the most powerful, risk-reducing things on the planet. Suddenly our children become attached more deeply to the family and the ongoing success to that family because they know that they're now contributing to it. They become committed to the core values of that family and see what it has done for them and now can envision themselves doing that for someone else. And they buy in in a much deeper way to the belief system that undergirds that family, which, by the way, means they need to hear us talk about the belief system. They do. And talk about it openly and honestly and even where we struggle with some of that. Attachment, commitment, and belief. It's a very simple model that I've watched change organizations, families, again, schools, and even states and communities. If you want to see it work on the negative side, and it is about the most antisocial side on the planet, all you have to do is look at gangs and the way they implement that model. Think about it. A drive-by is an opportunity for involvement. They are taught exactly how to do it. The recognition, reinforcement, and rewards are enormous. To the point where I remember in a speaking engagement in Houston with gang member moms and another one in Atlanta. Moms who for the first time in their lives owned their homes and drove nice cars because their kids were involved in gangs and that was part of the recognition, reinforcement, and reward. Were they attached to the ongoing success of that? Were they committed to that? Did they buy into the core value belief system of that? Absolutely. Because look at what it got them. But here's the other side of the equation. Think of Jesus. Did he give the disciples an opportunity to be involved? He chose them. Did he teach them the skills to feel confident in that involvement? And when they failed, and they did fail, he was still there to lift them up absolutely there to lift them up. Was there recognition? Yes. Was there reinforcement? Yes. Peter, you are, or Simon, you are the rock upon which I will build my church. And the rewards were so overwhelming that they were willing to lose their lives in the name of that faith so that they could take this to others and create that kind of change. Attached to this movement, committed to the ongoing success of it and and then a complete buy-in to the belief system. This is a model that works. And it works every time. And again, you'll hear more about it coming up because it also attaches to the risk and protective factors. But this, if we want to know about creating health in our kids, think about this. It's also what creates health in the children and youth of the church. And I'll close with this thought. Every one of us, 
seated in this place, first or second service, every single one of us need to be engaged in that kind of practice with the children and youth of this place. We all have a role in that. It can't just fall to one or two or three people. What what you may not be aware of is how delightful those who are represented on those prayer squares are. Not only how delightful, 15 going through confirmation, how intelligent, how dedicated, how fun, how upbeat, and, and how deeply they question their faith. And it can't just be me or Jen. They need to hear from you about what makes you who you are. It's same with kids club and Sunday school. We need help with these things. And you have stories to tell that can help them become more involved, learn skills, and find recognition, reinforcement, and rewards so that they too can become that much more deeply attached, not just to the church, but to Jesus Christ. It's phenomenal, the opportunity that lays before us on so many levels and the opportunity that can transform the communities around us. Happy Mother's Day. Will you pray with me? God, the opportunities are all around us. The opportunities are, are there if we but take them on. Many of us seated in this place somehow often forget that we might have a role or even a story to tell to others. I know how my mom's story changed not just my life, but the lives of everyone with whom she comes in contact. I know the stories that my dad told of equal rights for all transformed who we are as Beeman children and transformed the lives of thousands of others. We all have a story to tell, skills to share, opportunities before us. Help us take each of those on, particularly as we think about Mother's Day. All this in Christ's name. Amen.